This program is sponsored by Futures Unbounded and is responsible for its content. Welcome, fellow humans, to the Writing is on the Wall radio broadcast coming to you from WHKW 1220, a Salem radio station. If you wish to call in and ask for clarification or to comment, please call 888-677-9673. Once again, that phone number is 888-677-9673. Please address me as T.A. I am the teacher's assistant. And that phone number, once again, is 888-677-9673. This program is a non-religious, non-spiritual investigation of everything we can discern that was created, recorded, and modeled for us in the Bible. All right, that's my standard opening. And um, I'm not getting as much traction as I would like. Of course, I love the Bible. I, I love the fact that God cares enough for us to have the Bible written for us, not just written, not just recorded, but acted out. He um, devised the opportunities and had the people set up, and they followed their natural path, and he told them in advance, um, I am forming you as a group to last throughout all time and to be a model for all people, either for good or for ill. The choice is yours. And, of course, we know that they chose to be disobedient. And it's just, it's kind of a shame, but at the same point, I kind of think he knew it was going to go there. And the reason I want to try and give you an idea, I mean, we really, really do have free will. We are not compelled to do anything. Our... um most important um, uh, attributes, uh, other than the free will, is the, the fact that we don't um, need to do anything. We don't, aren't required to do anything. So anyhow, um, I just wanted to um, get across that uh, we're going to look at Matthew 13 tonight, and we have in the past, and we will again tonight. I've mentioned John 7, 24 being the entire reason that the Bible was written, um, and that is to teach us to judge correctly. And we all grew up, and every last human being ever born grew up in a subjective decision-making matrix, which means, you know, what did we want? What did we like? What did our friends like? What did we think? What do we feel? Um, and what will benefit us. And we grow to our level of maturity in that, and everyone did that, including Jesus. But Jesus did something else also. He was the model for us to switch from subjective decision-making to objective decision-making. 
The Bible tells us how to make good, reasonable decisions, and we decide whether we will choose to do that or not. And our life basically goes from there. But we have an example. When Jesus came and showed us, we wrote it down as moral um, decision-making. But Jesus was trying to show us a way to objective decision-making. And we didn't get it. Paul got it. Even though he was not, he never physically met Jesus while he was alive in his body, Paul got it, and he became an objective decision-maker. We don't understand that, though, until we walk the walk that they walked. We have to actually put ourselves in their place and make decisions and say, all right, how would this benefit everyone, or how would this benefit me? And the more often you choose how would this benefit everyone, the closer you get to an objective mindset. Because we are not here just for ourselves. We are here for each other. Unfortunately, we take solace in the fact that there are so many of us. And we ask opinions and the people that we like and the things that they do that we like, we follow those, at least until we decide not to. And so it's like getting a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. You may get some of the information, but it's kind of cloudy. Well, the Bible is the place that has all the information and knowledge about what it will take to understand what it is that God wants. Now, if you think of God as a farmer, which I think is totally understandable, and you read Matthew 13, then you should understand all the parables about farming there. There are three. Well, there's actually there's two and there's an explanation. The story about the farmer sowing the, the seeds is probably the one that is the most famous. I think every pastor in the world has done at least one or two sermons on that. The problem is, and it's pretty self-explanatory, but pastors related to Christianity, to being a good Christian, or not. And while that is completely understandable, and it's not out of the realm, it's not what Jesus had in mind. He was not trying to make people into Christians. He had no religious affiliations at all. He was born being a Jew, but of course they rejected him, pretty emphatically. <laughs> but he had no religious desires at all. He was trying to get information across to us. And thank goodness it was recorded. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke did the recordings and, and went over pretty much the same scenarios so that they could be used 
um, publicly as information. Uh, the Mosaic um, Tribunal, you had to have three witnesses in order for something to be thought of as real, quote-unquote. John tried to explain what it was that Jesus was trying to get across, and he did a pretty good job, but unless you really get into Jesus' words, not into his words as explained by various preachers, but into the Bible and into the words that he spoke. And unless you weigh those, as you're supposed to, correctly, not by what it looks like or seems like, John 7, 24, then you're not going to get the full benefit out of them. But we do have the Bible. We have the Old Testament and we have the New. And the information that's in there and the way to handle that information is something you need to read and work at on your own. You don't need to ask anyone else. That's in Deuteronomy. Do not send for anyone to give you an explanation. It's right here. So... With that, we'll go to the second um, sowing of seeds, and that is when a some evil person sowed weeds in with the seeds so that they started growing up together. And this one's this illustration starts in Matthew thirteen twenty four. The owner's workers came to him and asked, "Sir." Didn't you plant good seed in your field? Where did the weeds come from? 28. He told them an enemy did this. His workers asked him, Do you want us to pull out the weeds? Jesus says, The owner replied, the master replied, No. If you pull out the weeds, you may pull out the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. When the grain is cut, I will tell the workers to gather the weeds first, tie them in bundles to be burned, but I'll have them bring the wheat into my barn. So all this is important for you to understand that God started everything here on earth in the Garden of Eden. He improved the human body to where it could sustain the rigors that would be necessary over, what, 6,200 and some odd years. We're nearing the end of that. So that we would get the opportunity to grow with the example provided to us in the Bible. And we have. And there will come a time when the wheat will be gathered and separated from the chaff. And Jesus told the people who said, but, but Lord, we have, we have done these, these wondrous things in your name. We've done these miracles. And Jesus said, I never knew you. And that is the part that all Christians want to avoid. So a lot of us will do things that we think are good, that we think are nice, that we think is helpful. 
And they are good and nice and helpful, but they won't get us any closer to God. You have to actually become, as Jesus became, an objective decision maker. You have to put yourself second as part of the group, but not first, the way Jesus did. And that's tough, because in our human understanding, we don't understand that. We don't know what it means. We try to be good or nice or whatever, thinking that that's getting us close. But if you remember the correct definition for sin, it's missing the mark. Even if you're close, if you're missing, you're missing. So I urge everyone to read the Bible for content, not to support any kind of religious definition. I know immediately that people are religiously affected or infected, or both, when they tell me, they read John 1.1 and say, oh, that means that Jesus was with God at the beginning. And leave it at that. John 1.1 is so sweeping a statement that it's not just that Jesus was there. We were all there in seed form at the beginning. It was the beginning. Now, in 14, they'll point out that Jesus was mentioned, and he was. But he wasn't alone. We were all there. We are all growing through our opportunities. And that's exactly as God expressed it. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for you to grow up and become a self-healing, not your body, but your soul, a self-healing being, a being who only wants to do what is good for everyone, something that will raise all boats, something that doesn't make you out to be better than your neighbor, something that allows you to be one of many in everyone's eyes, but God's. And there's no need to act humble. If you are, you are. If you're not, maybe you need to work a little harder. But that's not for me to decide. It's not for you to decide whether someone is humble or not. It's only for you to decide about yourself. Because God has laid out exactly what we need to do. And he will gather the wheat at the final harvest. Well, now, what's he going to do when he gathers the wheat? He's going to make bread? See, that's the problem. Unless we actually read the Bible for content, we assume that we know what's going to happen, and we don't. Matthew 25 tells us what will happen to those who grew strong and became wheat. And that is, we will get an opportunity to be invested. 
with authority, with responsibility from God. Now, will you be the individual that gets five talents of gold to invest? Or two talents? Or one? Even if you have the one, you have an opportunity. So I want more people to work towards becoming self-healing children of God. Not their bodies. Your body is an envelope, like you're in a car. The car is not you, although a lot of people primp it up and everything and make it look really sharp rather than work on themselves because they want people to see their car and think that they are special, when really it's just the car that may be special. The car gets you from one place to another, which is what your body does. The car will go faster and withstand rigors that your body cannot. So it is an extension of your body. Your body is the thing that holds you in this plane of existence and allows you to feel and smell and taste and experience all the things that are in this plane of existence so that you may mature and grow. That's the entire reason that you are here. And in the Old Testament, as well as the New Testament, they still felt that you would go through several different sets of bodies. Now, they also spoke about what would happen at the final trumpet, when Jesus would gather together the people that his father, Adonai had secured for him his sheep. And that is what every Christian talks about and thinks about. But that is the final trumpet. How many opportunities do you have between now and then? Are you maximizing your ability to grow? and learn, and understand. That's why I started this program. I wanted people to work on that. I want people to know that helping your neighbor is important, but you've got to help yourself also. And the only way to do that is to read the Bible and give God your first fruits of intelligence. Use the structure of the Bible the foundation of his belief, understanding, knowledge about you, the four cornerstones of logic, reason, wisdom, make sure it works in the real world, and what we term as love, but which the Bible reported as grace and truth. Now, those two cannot be replaced. They come from God. You may manipulate the logic with reason, and you may check the results with wisdom, but grace and truth, as well as the foundation and the logical structure 
of the universe in which you live were all supplied by God. And you should work on that to understand everything that he has done for you. And that, of course, is Jeremiah 9.24. I have it in the King James Version, but it's not very clear. I'll have to look it up in one of the other versions. But if, if I remember correctly, it was to, for those who like to brag or glory in their understanding and their knowledge, let them say that they understand everything that I have done for them and it is justified. The only way to justify anything is to understand where it came from and why it got there and how good a job it does. I did that. I worked to understand it. And I can report to you that God has and is just. And everything he's done for us is for our benefit. But I don't want you to take my word for it. I don't want you to believe what I tell you. I want you to go into the Bible and read it and understand it for yourself. If you were looking for a mate, would you take somebody else's explanation? Oh, yeah, she's really cute. Yeah, she's honorable and hardworking. And yeah, she's easy to live with. Oh, she'd make a great mate for you. Would you buy that? Or would you want to meet her? Well, that's a recommendation. I'd like to meet a woman like that. And then find out that, well, Maybe he was polishing the apple a little bit on one of the two of the recommendations. And she doesn't much care for you. So that's a problem. You would not even think about choosing a mate off solely off of someone else's recommendations. So why would you choose to think of God and everything that he has done for you based on somebody else's preaching. You think, well, they understand it, and they're telling me I should do this, so I'm going to do this. How many times in the Bible does it say, put not your faith in princes, whether they princes of the church or prince of the realm, do not put your faith in other human beings. Put your faith only in God. God has laid all this out for you. You need to work the problem and come up with your own answer. Because when you get that answer, you will automatically relax. And the truth will set you free. It does. You think, I don't really care what other people say about me. I know the truth. And if they don't like it, I understand. I'm not their cup of tea. But that is not a reflection on me. That's a reflection on them. But you have to be really sure that you are the person that you think you are and that you say you are because you've done all the research and all the work in the Bible. 
once you do that, you can have the integrity to make the commitment to God's work here on earth and not some pastor's work, then you'll understand. And that is what will set you free. Look in here, we're coming up on the break. So I'll talk to you again on the other side of the break. And I want to outline what it is that we need to do to get this conversation going. So talk to you after the break. Thank you very much. Swamp, fake news, racist hats. Are you afraid to believe anymore? Well, let me tell you of one brave soul who, like David, slew Goliath. The true story of one man's fight against greed, corruption, and insatiable ambition in small-town Ohio, Checkmate reveals why passion and integrity are rare in the corridors of swing state politics. If you want to hear the truth, how the swamp operates in Ohio with all the political corruption in real time, get Steve Krause's tell-all, true-life story, Checkmate, One Man's Fight Against Political Corruption, available on Amazon. As a newly elected state representative, Steve takes you behind the scenes, behind the closed doors, and rips back the curtain to expose all the lies, the deceit, and power-hungry gamesmanship. Checkmate reads like a TV drama, but it's not. Once you start it, you won't be able to put it down. Checkmate, one man's fight against political corruption by Steve Krause, available on Amazon today. Be afraid. Be very afraid. There are those in Washington who want the IRS to take more of your hard-earned money. Are you tired of being the perpetual cash cow for every scheme, unreasonable program, and for all the fraud, waste, and abuse in our system? Well, good news. I can help. George Satari has almost 40 years of experience helping people like you keep more of what you make. It makes no sense that the more you make, the more they take. Let George help you keep your money away from the government bureaucratic waste and in your pocket. Call 216-651-1120 right now and schedule your free consultation today. Instead of a victim, you'll, you'll be, be the, the victor. victor. With many success stories, George helps with tax planning, estate planning, financial and business analysis, and more. The new tax law has many ways to save money with retirement planning, accelerated depreciation, up to 20% exception of net earnings, and so much more. Call 216-651-1120. That's 216-651-1120. You earn it, we'll help you keep it. That's George Satari, CPA, 216-651-1120. And I said before the break that we're going to have to make this discussion a little more wide-ranging. I love the Bible, and this is a religious station, but unfortunately, nobody that listens to me now can separate 
their religious education from the Bible. The religious education is much more strenuous and extensive than their knowledge and reading of the Bible. I'm sorry to hear that. I believe it, though. I know that myself, um, I, when I was raising my children, I listened to preachers and went on Sunday and was part of the church and enjoyed it thoroughly and thought I was getting great information until I started to read the Bible. And then I found out. So it was one of those things that the religious people mean well, I'm sure. But my mother's favorite saying was, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And unfortunately, that's true. Um, they're leading you down a man path that will continue to separate you from God and what God wants. It gives you a picture of the God that they have approved of and instead of the God that exists. And that's understandable because we, we don't really have a picture of the God that exists. We only get a picture through our interpretation of the various translations of what was written in the Bible. The copy of the copy of the copy that I mentioned earlier. Any translation you like has been chewed over and spit out by at least one other person. And the people who paid them to do this were religious authorities. Now, they didn't say lie, and they hadn't lied, but they may have pitched it in a way that would make it easier to give sermons and the interpretation's completely on them. The Bible does not interpret itself. It doesn't need to. The Bible was written to give you an opportunity to hear God's words from God. Yes, they came through the vocal cords of other men, and that is represented in those books in the Bible also. But more importantly, the things that were actually spoken by God were recorded. And even if they weren't understood then, and they're not readily understandable now, we are sophisticated to the point where we can divide the information and the words and say, wait a minute, what if this was what God intended for us to discuss and think about? Not what this pastor has been telling us, who was trained by people who were trained by people who have been in colleges and discussing the Bible for several hundred years. And they have the authority to tell these new Bible trainees who want to go out and be pastors that this is what the Bible means. Not what you may think the Bible means. It means this. And if you want to be employed, you will tell everybody that the Bible means this. 
Such a shame. But that is the way human bureaucracies perform. And for us to expect anything different would be foolish. So listen to the words that God had recorded for you. Now the reason that I'm making it apparent that the words may be slightly different in all the different translations of the Bible, some of the words were not translated, intentionally not translated. So get thee behind me, Satan, which is in all the translations. It's actually shaitan. And it does not mean an individual with the name of Satan. Or any other name that you would think of as the devil. It is the accuser. Shaitan is the accuser, the, the interrupter, the person who wants, or the person, um, listen to me, see I'm doing the same thing, the spirit that wants you to be not sure about what it is that God wants for you. Now, if you remember in the New Testament where Jesus said, get thee behind me, accuser. Our modern Bibles translate at that as the temptation of Christ. That's ridiculous. Christ was not tempted. There was nothing that he could offer Jesus that would get Jesus to betray the Father who sent him. He came to earth on a mission as the Son of Man. The child of the Spirit of Man. And that is something that we also ignored, even though it was written how many different times in each of the Gospels. Oh, that's the Son of God. That's what that means. No, that's not what it means. They could have said that. Matthew, well, I'm going to have to look it up again. I think it's Matthew 12, but I'm not sure. Anyhow, God was mentioning to Isaiah that he would send his emissary. He did not say, my son. He will send his emissary to the rest of humanity. And that is the portion that we read as the proclamation that this would happen, that this was always a part of God's plan for man, that we should have a model who was raised as human as any other child and remained human his entire time on earth, but that he was able to understand switching to the objective decision-making 
criteria. He did so, and he modeled that, and then he tried his best to explain it so that not just for the people of that time, but for time immemorial, the opportunity would be there to read what Jesus said and pray about it and search wholeheartedly for the face of God and find out what it was that Jesus was recommending. Paul did it. You can do it too. But you have to read the Bible for content, not to set up some sort of religious accommodation, something that will make it easier for you to understand. God did not say understanding him and why you were here would be easy. Why would it be easy? This is for the few who will grow straight and true. And the only way to do that, you can't do it by searching in the dark. The only way to do that is the light that shines from God. When you get to the point where you said, I don't have a choice about whether I do this or I do that, there is only one choice, the right choice, to follow God's direction. Once you do that, then you will grow towards the light. And your brothers and sisters who surround you, whether they snipe at you or whether they look at you and say, why are you so happy? What light is shining from you? How did you get it? Then you can explain to them. If the Holy Spirit is ready to deal with them, if they're ready for the explanation, if they're searching, as God said, any who search for my face wholeheartedly, without reservation, I will allow them to find me. And it looks as though my favorite caller, Mary Grace, is on the line again. Hello, Mary Grace. I am so blessed. We all are. That I was listening. And I, you know, wanted to ask a question. Yes. What do you consider the Bible? What is the sword of the Lord? I'm sorry, I didn't quite hear you. Would you repeat that? What is the sword of the Lord? What is the sword of the Lord? I don't know. Go ahead, tell me. Sharper than his word. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the thunder, separating the marrow and the bone. God is able to do the work to discern the intents of the heart. We were all born, all humans were born with a sense of right and wrong. I hope you're not looking for an argument. No, no, I'm just listening and I... Yeah, no, you're right. We were born with that, but we we cover it over, a lot of us do anyway. And it's a, it's kind of a shame. You make decisions, you make judgments, and those lead you to grow in a different path. 
It's only when you start to make judgments that are self-affirming that you grow towards the light. But then again, I guess I am starting to sound religious, and I don't want to be. We are the light in salt. We are the light. You would not hide a light under a bushel basket, would you? No. We are light and salt to every situation. Okay. Thank you for your call. I appreciate it, and keep listening. Thank you. Mm, Bye-bye. Mary Grace is right. Uh, The Bible does tell us many good things, and we can use those to try and understand what it is that we hear and how it differs from what the Bible says. I have many friends who say that they that Jesus came to give us religion, and I say, no, that's not it at all. Um, Jesus said, as a matter of fact, that he did not bring anything new into the world, that he was the sword that would divide brother, father to son. And that's it. If you believe in the Bible, if you accept that God's word is God's word, and that you can, by prayer and work, discern what it is that he wanted for you, and you're able to make that commitment and follow through on it, then you will be one of those stalks of grain that grows towards the light. But anyway, uh, the thing that I, the reason I wanted to, at the break, I told you that we would have to discuss what needs to be done, and that is, I'm going to reserve these last few minutes for that. Our, Our civilization here in America is rejecting the Ten Commandments and the basis for our foundation. Now, our founders understood that we were God's children by choice, Christians, and that we crossed the Atlantic just the way the Jews crossed the Jordan, and that we came into the land of milk of honey just as the Jews did in their area, and that we had to dominate the land and set it up just as the Jews did in their land. And we did, and we started our civilization, and it grew. Unfortunately, we allowed other voices to pollute that civilization. And that civilization now is being destroyed Now, we should have understood what happened after the Jews crossed the Jordan and set up on the plain. Now, there were four cities out on the Great Plain, Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim. There was a fifth city, but that city repented, and that city was spared. Now, those four cities, however, were destroyed. 
Now, we know why Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed, or at least we think we know. We certainly know what they did that was objectionable. But how did they get to that point? Didn't happen overnight. Well, here's the problem. Because it happened here in the United States also. We did not learn. They did not learn. They went their own way. The Bible tells us every man did what he thought was right. And that's what's known as being self-righteous. And that's the problem we have here. Well, what allowed them to be self-righteous? The fact of the matter is that the Bible reports that the plain was so filled with abundance, fruit, grain, cattle, water, everything was there in abundance, just as it was here in the United States, so that those people had no concern for their earthly needs. And when they had no concern, and they didn't have to work hard to support themselves, what happened? They went back to their natural state. The rest of the Jews sinned also, but these guys did it in overdrive. And they permitted other gods and other people into their cities. And they did what those gods demanded. And they did what those people told them was good. And we know what God's response was. And his response was, and it's mentioned several times in the, body, in the Bible, so forthright that nothing would grow in that area ever again. Now we know that area as the desert. But it wasn't at one time. It was the most well-watered, most abundant area on the face of the known world. And it was destroyed by God as a lesson for mankind about what happens to those who do what they think is right rather than what God has told you is right. They judge on outward appearance, not correctly, which is John seven twenty four. The entire Bible was written to give us examples and model for us what it is to judge correctly so that those who followed the Bible, who truly wanted to understand what it is that God wanted from us, which included judging everything that he had done for us on our behalf and whether it was justified or not, and that is the intent and purpose for the Bible. All of it, from beginning to end, 
And that's why there's nothing new being added to the Bible. Nothing needs to be added. So we've had our examples for good or ill. For both, actually. And we're at a place now where we are replicating Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim. Now, where did these bad ideas come from? They actually had a beginning. And this is the part that's going to be kind of hard to understand. It is a reaction by evil to, the, to what began with the printing of the Bible so that it would no longer be only in priests' hands, but so that it could be in every individual human's hands, so that every individual human could read the Bible for themselves, weigh the words, and try to get to an understanding of what it is that God wanted for humans and why he wanted them. That's the important part. You don't have to just understand what. You need to know why. Because that's the only way you can follow God's direction to us to justify everything that he has done for us on our behalf. Well, the rest of America is drowning. It is the Christian duty to restructure not just America, but the human attitude towards why we are here on earth. In order to do that, we have to have a pretty far-ranging conversation. Because right now, everybody is rejecting the Bible because of all the different religions that have used the Bible as though they spoke for God. And even if they were to say, no, we never said that, all the people who are anti-Bible do it because they are anti-religion. And they're mixing the two together. But then again, so are many people who call themselves Christians. And this is the problem. If you are truly a follower of Christ, if you are truly a child of God, then you will read the Bible for content and explain it to your brothers and sisters in a way that they have no compunction to search for religious meanings and only want to understand what it is that God is trying to tell them. So that is my challenge. I love the Bible, and I love reading it, and I love talking to Christians, and I love trying to explain to them to leave the religious dogma behind and get into the Bible and understand that. Every time somebody tells you something, 
that they think the Bible means take it under advisement, but do not accept it. Use it only as something that you should work to prove either is solid or isn't. <clears throat> and that's how you know that Paul became a Christian, a first-level Christian, a follower, an objective decision-maker. 1 Thessalonians 5, which I quote practically every week, I'm sure, was Paul's closing remarks to the Thessalonians. He started off in 5.16, Always be joyful, never stop praying. Whatever happens, give thanks, because it is God's will in Christ Jesus that you do this. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. Starting with 20, don't despise what God has revealed in the Bible. Instead, test everything, hold on to what is good, and keep away from every kind of evil. All right, well, we're coming to the end of the program, but that is where I'm headed. I have got to try and get people who are non-Bible people and non-religious people to think about, read, and discuss the Bible and weigh its content for themselves. So any of you that can think of a good way to do that, please let me know. Um, the website you can go to is thewritingonthewall.net and you can leave me a message. And that's it for this evening, folks. Talk to you next week. This program has been sponsored by George Satari, CPN.